Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Kevin Ingram. He is one of the play-by-play voices for Vanderbilt Sports. We will talk Vanderbilt basketball mostly and then a little bit of baseball at the end. Kevin appears on the guest line. That is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prize Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you are in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call at 615-830-9458. Now, on to our interview with Kevin Ingram. Kevin Ingram joins us. He's one of the two play-by-play voices of the Vanderbilt Commodores. He was in Columbia last night, as we do this on Wednesday afternoon, to call Vanderbilt to win at South Carolina. Kevin, hope you're doing well. I'm good, Chris. How are you? Good. I, I hear jet lag might be a real thing. Can you verify this? <laughs> well, I don't know about too much jet lag because it was a really short flight. It was like 58 minutes to Columbia back. But, uh, yeah, you know, he played three games in seven days and two road trips. It's kind of nice just to be home hanging around the house this afternoon. Yeah, I'm guessing the road trips and the mood on the plane is a little bit lighter these days than, than maybe it was <laughs> a month ago. Yeah, definitely. Uh, these last two trips, especially the trip to Florida over the weekend and then uh, last night at South Carolina, everybody uh, feeling much better. It's interesting uh, how much things can change in just the span of about two weeks. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were down in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and uh, boy, things just didn't go very well. And uh, just kind of hoping for better things ahead and getting Liam Robbins healthy and, and team getting pointed in the right direction. And four games later, all wins. So you're feeling good and um, back over 500 in SEC play. And I uh, look ahead to what's left, and you hope that you have some more wins left and uh, maybe make this thing really interesting in terms of you know, potential postseason or at least climbing up into the SEC standings to get a better seat for the uh, SEC tournament coming up next month. Yeah, I'm looking at Vanderbilt's Ken Palm profile this morning. It is it may be the strangest thing I've ever seen on Ken Palm, and, and there's a segue here to to something I I picked up out of it. Vanderbilt is number 40 nationally in adjusted offensive efficiency, and that does account for strength of schedule, which theirs has been tough. But within that, effective field goal percentage, 253 nationally. Free throws to field goals, 203. Free throw percentage, 196. Now here's where I think they start making up ground. Offensive rebounding percentage, 84. Turnover percentage, 46. What that means is they're not shooting the ball well, but they are getting some extra chances on the offensive end, and they're not turning it over, which leads me to where I was going to go next. I don't know if you've looked at Ezra Manion's line for the last four games, all those wins, but it's really something. He has gotten 28 assists to three turnovers in those four wins. Yeah, it's been really remarkable. Ezra's just been off the charts good. Uh, the game in Florida, he had eight assists and no turnovers. And then last night at South Carolina, six assists and one turnover. And, uh, you know, in addition to that uh, ridiculous assist turnover ratio over four games, he scored almost 40 points. He scored 39 points in those four and uh, had 15 
against South Carolina and uh, double figures against Florida. So he, he's been so good, whether it's scoring, getting all the way to the bucket for a, a layup or just hitting a short jumper or setting up others. Uh, he and Liam Robbins have really worked well together. And of course, uh, Ezra made that fantastic pass to Tyron Lawrence, uh, set up the game winning three against Tennessee. So his decision making, uh, his floor presence, he plays great defense, all, all those things, man, as are just playing uh, outstanding basketball and, uh, you know, transfer from UC Davis, getting his first taste of playing through the SEC. And um, he, gosh, there can't be very many point guards playing it as well as he is right now. No, there can't be. By the way, it's, it's 26 and not 28. Um, Mm-hmm. My, my dog is very excited. Yeah, I've, about I've been this. tracking that as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doc says it was 26. That, that's that's correct. Right. He's he's, he's going to step in and correct me. And, and then you got Liam <laughs> Robbins, who's had, what, 89 points in four games. Again, all wins, uh, rebounds. What, eight last night, 10 the night before, nine the night before that, 12 the game before that. I mean, just this guy's been a beast. He really has. And I, I thought that game at Florida was the best game of his whole career. I, obviously, a career high in points, but just the way he looked and doing it. Um, I, I think there's, you know, and, and whether you wanna, he wants to talk too much about it or not, uh, I think there is a challenge involving Colin Castleton that he wanted to show that, that he had a, a spot at the table among the SEC's best big men. And Liam is so skilled. He can shoot really well from the outside. I, th- I think that's one of the things that really separates him from some of the others. Uh, gosh, he shot it great from three last couple games. Uh, hit a couple of them last night at South Carolina. Went three out of four against Florida, including that dagger that was right over Castleton from the left wing uh, with just under three minutes to play. There was a key shot in the game. Just been so good. Uh, Florida Saturday comes right out. I mean, it just goes to work. I think he had 13 points before we were about halfway done in, in the first half. And um, yeah, South Carolina was a little bit different. They didn't post him a whole lot as far as throwing the ball in there to him and letting him, you know, take a jump hook or, or baseline fadeaway or whatever it might be, or in a paint where he's hit a whole bunch of fadeaways this season. That, that shot's really developed for him. Uh, it was more outside jumpers and maybe kind of drive in a dish. He, he was able to score if Ezra you know, got down the lane line and found him to uh, work out well a couple times. So, Liam, it, this is just unbelievable stretch he's playing here. One SEC player of the week, deservedly so, and, uh, coming back from the foot injury, he said he started to feel a lot more like himself in the second half against Alabama, even though the, the game was, was what it was. But he, he said that kind of got him going and then uh, was off and running from there, starting with that Ole Miss game. Sorry, took a minute to find the mute button. Um, back to the Florida game. My goodness, if you could pottle up the first 10 minutes of that game and, and sell it uh, – I think a lot more people will watch college basketball. 10 one without a stoppage of play, lots of offense. And really, frankly, that that whole game, what I was able to watch, we had a birthday party for my nine-year-old, uh, and, and birthdays around here for kids tend to be all-encompassing days. I'm sure you know about that a little bit. <laughs> but what yeah. I got to see of it was fascinating basketball. That first 10 minutes was crazy to watch. It was like watching an NBA game where it's just back and forth and offense all the time. And- it wasn't necessarily at times bad defense. It was just really good offense from both teams. Uh, but Liam got rolling right away, as we talked about a minute ago. And I have not seen a game where you blew past not just one, but two media breaks. The the under-16 timeout came and went. The under-12 timeout came and went. And finally, Florida called time with 9.59 to go in the first half. And then you have all these timeouts timeout stacked upon one another. Uh, at one point, 
Florida was shooting free throws, and between the two free throws, they called a timeout just to try to get the whole thing back on track. I think that was for the under-eight timeout. And uh, finally, they got it all back to where it needed to be, but that was really an interesting stretch. And you talk about seeing some guys that were gassed. When you started to get eight minutes or so without a stoppage in play, you, you see guys that are just trudging up and down the court. And I, I thought a couple of the turnovers that were made during that stretch were just that, just uh, just out of fatigue. But, uh, yeah, that, that was such a fun stretch to watch. And uh, Vanderbilt won that game at Florida and re- really got the job done down the stretch. Uh, Liam hit that big shot. Vanderbilt made a whole bunch of free throws at the end. And, uh, that, that felt like a significant win, too, to go down there and win. Yeah, Florida is not going to, you know, they're not going to win the SEC this year, but still they, they have some very good players and uh, have some nice wins on the resume and, and it played well against some of the contending teams. And uh, that, that was just one that was uh, a really good one to go down there and get. We'll see those guys again here in uh, about a week and a half, but uh, yeah, part of that four game win streak, back to back road wins, Florida and then South Carolina. Were the play by play guys and the color commentators also gassed at that first break? Yeah, yeah, I was kind of tapping the top of my headset, you know, saying we need a timeout. I think, you know, it, it, it's funny to say that, but it's like we we almost were. It's just you get so used to the rhythm of those games yeah. where you, know, you cross under sixteen minutes and you have a foul or a ball goes out of bounds or something, and you go to a break, and then. But we, I think Tim and I were just kind of sitting there looking at each other. It's like, what's this thing going to stop? Because it just kept rolling on and on and on, and you'll you'll see a. Yeah, sometimes it'll go a minute or two past the timeout, but not very often, and certainly nothing like that, where you went six minutes past the uh, under-16 timeout. Yeah, you would think ESPN stats and info would have had out some kind of tweet about like the longest <laughs> start of a game. I mean, surely they've got that somewhere, that, but I mean that. that, that I don't know if that there. was the record, but that's got to be in the conversation. I, I can't ma- imagine there've been very many games that, that went that long. No, I mean, yeah, I don't think you could you could do that if you tried again. But right. um, any any takeaways from last night that we haven't gotten to before we get to the mailbag? Uh, Chris, I, I think sometimes in basketball you can shoot well and not play well, or you can play well and not shoot well, and though those things don't always go together. And I, I thought last night's game was one of those where Vanderbilt really played pretty well, but they just didn't shoot very well, especially in the first yeah. half. They had some great looks from three that just simply didn't go in. It wasn't like they were taking bad shots and missing. Um, they, they had some good looks that, you know, normally good shooters would, would knock down. And yeah, I, I wondered too a little bit if the three games in seven days was catching up with them just a little bit, but they, they really played well. And Jerry Stackhouse after the game saying he was really pleased with the way they, they came out and executed the game plan, did exactly what they wanted them to do in the first half. And Vanderbilt built a 20 point lead by the break. Liam Robbins hit a three right before halftime and South Carolina came out and they, they made a little run. They got it down to 14 and miles Studi hit a couple threes. And it felt like when Vanderbilt was able to steady the ship a little bit right there and push the lead back up to 20, uh, it felt like it was in pretty good shape. And, you know, South Carolina trimmed it down to nine toward the end of the game, but by that time it was pretty much uh, out of reach, and Vanderbilt just needed to hit a free throw or two to get the defense line. It was not the atmosphere you'd expect to see in Columbia. It was a really small crowd and just not very loud, or just a lot of energy or buzz in the building for the South Carolina team that had only won two conference games. They had won at Ole Miss in the previous game that beat Kentucky last month. And um, Gigi Jackson, there seems to be something going on there yeah. with him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, his, you know, he'd done the social media thing a couple weeks ago and been coming off the bench and, and just watching the body language and what it looked like when he was in the game and when he was out of the game. Uh, yeah, I, 
Coach Paris may have his hands full of that situation, and you know, Gigi's probably not going to be there very much longer anyway if uh, if going to the pros is his plan. But for Vanderbilt, hey, any anytime you go on the road and, and win in the SEC, you'll take it every single time. I'm sure your session with Jerry Stackhouse was probably a little rushed given that you guys had a plane to catch and everything, but did he have anything of interest to say when you guys talked to him post-game? Uh, we, we, we talked mostly – he talked a lot about you know, just executing the game plan and how his team is – I think he's just really proud of these guys, really, the way they've stuck together and um, you know through, through some adversity this season, certainly. There been some injuries and been some, some tough losses, and you go back to non-conference play when – you you had a couple of games that you normally think you would probably get, uh, and no disrespect to those teams, but the teams like Southern Miss or Grambling, you think you, you had those games on your schedule at home. You figure, okay, those, those are good opportunities for us to get wins. And you look at those two teams, they played really well. They're both either uh, at the top or at least second or so in their respective leagues. Vanderbilt played a really difficult non-conference schedule. And you know, some of those wins – and and games are games that keep on giving. You think about Pittsburgh, how good that win looks now. And um, I, I think for for Coach Stackhouse and his staff, I think they're just really proud of the way these guys have stayed the course and get kept going in a good direction. And it feels like they found about an eight guy rotation that's really working for them. Uh, when you look at who all's been playing the bulk of the minutes, you're, you're seeing a little bit of the guards, Paul Lewis and Noah Shelby, but not not a whole lot. Uh, you're seeing more of the veteran guys. Uh, Colin Smith has been the main one of the freshmen that, that's played quite a bit during this four-game win streak. And I, I have a feeling you're probably going to see this this group of about eight players or so is going to be the group that's going to uh, take this team you know, all, all the way to the finish of this season. And you, know, you kind of see how it goes. But um, I, again, I, I think they're just really happy the way these guys have stuck together and played. And you've heard the players say the same thing about the coaches, that they never really wavered in, in their faith in them. And um, but ha- having a guy like Liam Robinson, a point guard like Ezra Magnon, you, those, if you start with those two guys, uh, they're going to be a, a plus for any team. And you get some really good performances like we've seen from Tyron Lawrence and we've seen from, from Jordan Wright or you know, some of the others. Trey Thomas has had a couple of really nice shooting games during this stretch. And, uh, boy, that's a, yeah, that's a pretty good recipe for this team. And it's one of those things, too, when the shots go down, everything uh, looks a whole lot better. But this, this team just ran good offense and have been able to get those good looks. You mentioned Pitt. I know the ACC is the worst it's been, who knows, maybe in our lifetime. But uh, Pitt sits atop the ACC standings in sole possession of first place at 12-3 and three today. Yeah, that's been crazy to watch. You know, you talk about a team, excuse me, that's made a turnaround. Uh, there, there's talk that Jeff Capel was on the hot seat coming into this season and uh, might be looking for a job when the year is over. Now he's got the, one of the best teams in the league and then certainly the best in terms of the standings. And I, I will say that when we saw them at Memorial Gym back earlier in the season, there was no question that they were much improved from last year. We played up at Pittsburgh last year. That team wasn't very good. But the one that came here to play, you could tell they had added some nice pieces. And, and they've had a terrific season. And we played NC State up in Chicago. And same thing for them. Uh, they, they've had a good year as well. And they, they're another team that's added some uh, nice players from other places and have had a nice season. You, know, you, you think about playing tough games and uh, good teams in the non-conference and, and, and ones that are going to reward you in terms of the uh, the schedule rankings and those things. Vanderbilt did a whole lot of that. Uh, St. Mary's has turned out to be really good out in the West Coast Conference. They might uh, unseat Gonzaga as the as the uh, team at the top of that league this season. So, yeah, there's some really good games and, and good opponents in, in the non-conference. And, um 
boy, you, you look back and you wish you had a couple more of those wins in the win column, but uh, the, you know, say the game against Pittsburgh could have gone the other way and Temple was an overtime game. So some things, those, sometimes those things sort of even out. It seems fans have more questions than usual. Who knew? Um, are you ready for the mailbag? Sure, let's do it. All right, our mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call, 615-846-6200, see what your rights are and if they can help. Foghorn says, what have you seen or noticed maybe behind the scenes about this team over the last few weeks? Um, I don't know that there's anything really I've, I've seen behind the scenes that would shed a whole lot of light on anything. I, I think these guys have just kept working hard. You know, I, we have our office in the bottom of Memorial gym. So I, I'm, you know, walk through the gym and see guys out there shooting and you, you can tell guys are, have put in the work and that's pretty evident. And, and just seeing guys, not, not only working on shooting, but working on moves and drives and finishing and all those things. Yeah. You, you see that all the time. And, this group seems like a group of guys that likes each other too. And, and they, they seem to have good camaraderie you know, with them on the road and eat meals and all the ride on buses and all those things. And uh, you, you'll, you'll like the togetherness that this group has shown. This season of the Vandy sports podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Okay, next one, SR Kane. Liam is the best player on this team, but who is the most important player on the team? I would say Ezra, but there are arguments for others, such as when XYZ makes his shots, we win the game. Um, I'll let you answer that how you like here. <laughs> well, I, I think maybe one and one A. Uh, Liam, Liam is the most important player on this team, as we've seen. Uh, just a totally different dynamic when he's out there on the court. But I, I would submit that Ezra Magnon is right there, very close second. Uh, his, his ability to just run the offense and, and not turn the ball over, make really good decisions, and at the end of games, be solid with the ball and make the right pass or get to the free throw line and, and, and knock down shots when you need him to. And really his defense, he, and he's told us throughout the year, he loves playing defense and having that challenge and guarding the other teams very good guards on the other side and making those decisions about going over or going under and a lot of that stuff scattering reports when it comes to, to dealing with screens. But I would say those two guys are certainly the, uh, the, the the two most important, and that's not to take anything away from anybody else. I think if you pulled the team, you'd probably get those same answers. Next one is from Pepperdor, long-time listener, first-time caller. Rank the following style of wins from most to least enjoyable. Close game, start to finish. Number two, build first half cushion, lead ebbs throughout the second half. Three, close first half, win comfortably. D, blowout win, start to finish. 
<laughs> well, coaches would say deep blow I went start to finish. I kind of like yeah. the ones where it, it's kind of close. And you, you you want your team to win, and, and it's nice to win comfortably. But in some ways, calling games is almost more fun to have it, you know, where it's, it's competitive. Uh, I, I sort of like the ones where it's close for a half, and then you sort of pull away in the second half. So I guess that's that's where I would start. Okay, next one, also from Pepperdor. Um, where did it go? Oh, here we go. What caused Vandy's weak second-half performance? Is that simple regression to the mean, coasting, loss of focus? Did South Carolina Lina make st- strategic adjustments? And what lessons should that teach the team? <laughs> That's a lot. Uh, I don't know. They, I mean, they were ahead by 20, and really they – South Carolina made a couple runs. They made some shots. I mean, you're not going to go the whole game and just uh, blow people's doors off. Um, I, I don't. I don't know that I have a great answer for that one. And, you know, Coach Stackhouse, he played some of the young guys a little bit as the second half went along, so maybe that was a little bit of a factor too. But I, I don't know that it was because you know, those two young guards. When you look at Paul Lewis and Noah Shelby, they played quite a bit, and I, I think they're going to be really nice players. Uh, but like I say, South Carolina, they, they just made a couple shots and. It got an offensive rebound or two, and Vanderbilt turned it over and fouled a little more in the second half. It was interesting in that game. There were no fouls called against Vanderbilt in the first half. And yeah. when the first whistle went against Vanderbilt in the second half, you got a lot of uh, sarcastic applause from the South Carolina crowd. But, yeah, I think I think just more fouls and South Carolina shot more free throws. But, really, it didn't – only maybe one point when South Carolina cut it down to about 11 with the three minutes or so to go that I really feel like, oh, you know, this might get a little more interesting than we wanted it to. Uh, for the most part, Vanderbilt was in control of that game. The next one comes from Brain13. Uh, a lot of this recent run has come with what I would assess as an 85% Jordan Wright. Some of that be, could be just because we haven't needed him as much as Liam um, has emerged and Ezra or Tyron have carried the team. But how good could this team be if Jordan Wright started playing at full potential along with Liam Robbins at full potential? Good enough to run the table? He asks. Uh, Jordan's had, I think he's had some good performances. He had a double double against Florida, and I was talking to him a little bit yesterday before the game. And he was saying that in Liam Dockheads in the game at Tuscaloosa, and uh, he was out for a game or so, and, and came back to play against Tennessee, and said he didn't really start to feel like he was back until the second half against Tennessee. Uh, but I. I think his presence, as much as anything, is what they want out of him. And, and Coach Stackhouse has said as much that, you know, excuse me, uh, his leadership and defense and just a you know veteran guy who's been through a lot of this stuff, as much as scoring and rebounding and everything, they, they just like his hustle and, and his presence on the court. Now, if you could get to a situation where Jordan's you know, he's putting up 15 or 20 points, I mean, that's a gigantic boost for you. And think about this as well. In this four-game stretch, Miles Studi has been one of the best three-point shooters in the SEC throughout the season. You're talking about a guy who shot 40% for the year. Um, he just hasn't really had his eye like he had back earlier in the year. And uh, they, they've won all these games with without Miles really having a, a monster game where he scored about 20 points. So you, know, you, you always want to all be clicking on all cylinders at the same time. It doesn't always happen that way. But you, you've gotten good performances from different people in different games. And I think through the, to the point here where it's like, whatever it looks like, let's just get a win. 
And uh, it's not about individuals or who's who's playing the best. It's just about winning basketball games at this point. And, and you've had the performances that you need, and you've had consistent performances out of a few guys, but you've you've had some good showings from a number of guys during this stretch. And I mean, obviously the the three by Tyron Lawrence was a monster shot to beat Tennessee the other night. Brain 13, again, how wild could the atmosphere be for the Auburn game? Any sense that the students understand this weekend's importance and will bring their A game? And what about the rest of the fan base? <laughs> I I haven't seen how many tickets are out or anything like that for this game. But I, I got to think, as far as atmosphere, it should be pretty cranked up in there. You talk about a Saturday night game. And in, in my opinion, I, I think this is the biggest regular season game of Jerry Stackhouse's tenure as coach. And so you, you got a real chance here to – continue that climb up the sec standings and yeah, you want to see a good loud crowd in memorial gym and maybe uh, feel like old times a little bit uh, I, th- I think this team um i think this team definitely gets a lift off the home crowd although they've played some really nice games on the road this season uh e- even some of the games they've lost in the sec on the road they, they've really played well they play well at texas a&m and had a chance to win in missouri they played good in both those games and, and really when they went to tennessee i thought they played pretty well over there just didn't shoot very well in the second half but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to Saturday. I think it's going to be fun to see what that atmosphere is like with Auburn coming in here. Yeah, you know, and I'll I'll switch to baseball a minute after one more question, but this is going to be the biggest weekend for Vanderbilt men's sports in a while. That Auburn game is huge. If Vanderbilt gets that one, you can maybe start dreaming a little bit about bubble conversations for the NCAA tournament. Uh, be a lot more work to do, but, I mean, they're, they're getting – to the point, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the year Bryce Drew took them to the tournament uh-huh. because, yeah, I mean, they, they just kind of came out of nowhere in the middle of February. They'd started banking some wins, and, uh, in fact, I remember coming on your show when you and Mark Howard had a show, and, and I kind of started seeing it pick up like that. Now, the dynamics are a little different. The strength of schedule isn't quite as tough as what they had that year, and they haven't banked as many big wins yet. But you can you can start to see the parallels forming a little bit, where just kind of something comes out of nowhere, and with the strong enough close, and I think it's going to be really hard. I, I don't think they have much margin for error. Uh, maybe you can lose one more game in, in conference regular season. I don't know that they can afford any more than that. But it's not just this craziest thing in the universe thing that it would have been you know two or three weeks ago yeah i, I would agree with that and uh, tim thompson and i were looking at the schedule before last night's game and even look at it and say okay you go five and one you finish 11 and seven in the league and that puts you at about what 16 wins or somewhere in that range um maybe 18 wins i can't, I can't remember i think they would put you at 18 and 13 to finish up the regular season and, and 11 and seven in the sec and and that starts to look like a pretty good case. And you look at these games that are left, you don't have to play Alabama again. You're done with Tennessee. So you don't have to play either one of those two teams the rest of the way. You look at the rest of these games and man, you can, you can look at those games and say, okay, there's, there's a path to win them all. And that's going to be really, really hard to do. Uh, but you got three at home and two on the road. You got road trips coming up to LSU, which they're at the bottom of the standings. And I, I think the, the game Kentucky is going to be interesting because it'll be interesting to see where Kentucky is. At that point. Um, are they in desperation mode or they really need a, a win to try to solidify a case for the tournament? Are they uh, on a spot where they're on the other side of the bubble and then uh, maybe checked out? I, I kind of doubt if that's going to be the case. 
And then you got these three home games. You got Auburn, and you got Florida again, and you got Mississippi State, which turned things around a little bit in these last couple games. So it's a it's a difficult schedule coming up, but it's it's not to me. It doesn't look quite as scary as what we saw back in January, where you had you know Alabama twice, and then of course you had you you had those two games with Tennessee, and they're really good, and lots of road trips, and yeah, it was it was a tough January schedule. <laughs> it was just really difficult for this team, but. I think this stretch run is going to be uh, fun to watch, and we just hope these guys can keep playing and give themselves chances to win all these games. Yeah, I think that several schools just got the the raw end of the schedule. It's like you had a lot of teams that didn't play, you know, the, the top tier teams as much. Or like I'll give an example of who really got the short end of the sick LSU. Like all year, we've sort of had, an, at least in my mind, uh, although Vanderbilt has made this more interesting. There, there was sort of a nine and, and five structure to the league. Nine teams that were kind of a little bit of a level, especially you could see it in the computers above the rest, and then a bottom five that, that Vanderbilt was part of and probably the, the best team in the bottom five, although now I would, would argue they're, they're closer. Well, they're, they're probably in a, a top top nine or ten rather than a bottom five at this point. But and I'm rambling. The point I was going to make was LSU – did not play any of those bottom five teams until last night, um, which <laughs> perhaps not coincidentally, LSU has not had a calendar or had a win in this calendar year. Yeah, and it, the, the schedule, some years it does it in favors and some years it does it. Uh, like last year, you think about it, Vanderbilt played Georgia twice. It would have been nice to play those guys twice this season. It was only the, the one matchup in Athens. And, yeah, you can't really do a whole lot about that. You sort of have to to play the the hand you're dealt in terms of the schedule. Um, I, I will say, you know, in a lot of years, you know, I think about back to my time at, at Belmont, one thing, and Belmont was a, a contender in his league pretty much every single season of the 17 that I called for them. But the one thing that Belmont always did really, really well was show up ready to play against the teams at the bottom of the league and, and beat those teams on a consistent basis if you're, if you're going to be a contender at the top, you got to beat the bad teams. And that's one thing that program just did so well. The attention to detail in games against teams that you're supposed to win, sometimes those can be hard ones. And you, know, you that team's going to come out and, and, and give you everything they got because you're a contender in the league. And uh, you, you just got to take care of business. So, uh, yeah, we've, we've talked about how the schedule sort of sets up for Vanderbilt. You had that game of South Carolina last night. You got a road game against LSU next week. And, you can't take either one of those for granted, but uh, you, you certainly like your chances playing those guys better than you do trying to, to go to Alabama and win or something like that. Yeah, no, no doubt. Okay, last one from the mailbag before I ask you a thing or two about baseball. I think this is also from Brain13. Where do you see the women's basketball team next year? Does it make the NCAA tournament, or how far off is it? Well, I, I think for the women's team, uh, just getting a healthy roster of players is uh, – this <laughs> is the, one of the no things kidding. that uh, Shay, yeah. Shay Ralph and her coaching staff are, are hoping for. They'd had the worst injury luck of any team you'll ever see. They lost three players going into the season that would have accounted for probably at least, you got to think, 30 points a game um, when you look at the ones they lost. And I, I think they have done about as well as you could possibly do with this group of eight players because one player uh, – uh, left the program not too long ago. So they're basically down to eight and you have to, to get creative and even trying to have five on five practices. I, I tell you one thing though, 
I, I really think that that Sherry Ralph and, and Tom Garrick and his coaching staff, I, I think they're going to do a good job. I think they're going to win here. Um, and and I'll, one thing about them, if you hang around them for a few minutes, they are very, very competitive and they really know basketball and they seem to be good at talent evaluation and those things that it takes. So yeah, I, I think add some pieces before next year and uh, you, you go from there. It's really been fun to see Kaja Harbison and Marnell Gerard have the seasons they've had, even for a team that hasn't uh, had a lot of success. They've won two SEC games, but Kaja's just had a remarkable season. Even with all the attention that's given to her, she still found a way to get her points. She scores 19 a game and had a 41-point game a couple weeks ago when they beat A&M. Uh, I think she's per game at four or five. So uh, she's had a great season. Marnell's had a terrific season. And, you know, a lot of the younger players that, that are on the roster have been able to get a lot of experience. So you got to figure that'll serve them well down the road. All right. Baseball. Commodores open this weekend in Arlington. TCU, 3 Central Friday. Oklahoma State, 11 on Saturday. Texas, 1030 Sunday morning. My goodness, that's that's a lot going on this weekend. Um, have you got a chance to go to practice or, or talk to Tim Corbin lately? And, and if so, and I know you're super busy, but if so, what's sticking out to you or maybe what are the things that you're watching for as baseball season is close to being underway? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch too much of the training this spring because you know we've just done so much basketball that I, I just haven't been around a whole lot. Uh, I did sit down with Tim Corbin. Uh, we did a little preseason production meeting for our TV broadcast, and we talked to him for uh, an hour or so the other day. And one of the things that, that I think is going to be interesting to see is how the weekend rotation shapes up. And you feel like you got about five or six guys for you know the three weekend spots and then the, the midweek spots, which early in the season you sometimes have two midweek starts. So um, that gives you a little extra time to sort some of those things out. But I, I think for me, one of the things I think is really interesting is just how, how many good left-handers this team could potentially throw at team yeah. in a, in a starting role. When you, you got Carter Holton, who's all, all American. And you got Devin Futrell, who was the midweek guy last year and really pitched well in the postseason. You got Hunter Owen. And then you, you got a couple of, uh, well, you got Sam Lavoki who's coming back, and I think he's going to have a big role. And then you you got to Canich, the the freshman. You got a couple other guys that uh, were probably going to be factors. So just seeing how the pitching shapes up is going to be an interesting storyline as the season goes along. I think they're going to have plenty of pitching. Um, it's oh, just a matter yeah. of, of of how the how the um, how the offense shapes up and um, just how all that fits together. And you're not going to have to score a million runs to win these games with the kind of pitching they have. So uh, that that should serve this team well. But I, I feel like this team's going to be, and I don't know that you notice a ton, a ton in terms of stolen bases, but I, I think this team's going to be faster, and that's something I think Tim Corbin uh, feels like uh, can help this group as well. If you can get guys on base, it's not going to take as much to get them home, and uh, when you got Enrique Bradfield at the top leading things off and, and running all over the place, uh, that, that's a good place to start. Yeah, I feel like this will be a lot more like watching his teams from, a, say, 04, 05, 06, somewhere in there than it will be uh, maybe, maybe 2019. Yeah, the, the 2019 team was really remarkable with the, the power that they had. And I, I don't think it's going to be anything like that because they just don't don't have those kind of bats. And, and replacing guys like Dominic Keegan and Spencer Jones it is a, a tall order when you look at the production they gave this team last year. But you're know, going into last season, you don't really know what Spencer Jones was going to be. You know, he's going to have the kind of season that ended up him being a first-round pick by the Yankees. So 
uh, it'll be fun. And these things always take shape as the year goes along. There, there's always a lot of unknowns when you go into these baseball seasons and, and things start to, to sort them th- themselves out when you get a little bit into conference play. So yeah, it's, it's a, a really tough stretch of games here to open up the season down in Arlington. Then you come home and play a six game homestand, a couple midweek games at UCLA for a three game series. And Austin P after that, before you go back out and uh, head up to Minnesota. So yeah, it'll be uh here and the next thing you know it'll be the, the middle of april and we'll be right in the middle of conference play these, these seasons just seem like they've been passed to me uh speaking of the 2019 team did you catch the uh the vandy boy for gator trade over the weekend i did yeah the uh, jj I, for AJ yeah Buster. i don't know i don't know what the marlins were doing there <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny we um we saw JJ in Cincinnati last year. We just we happened to be up there and saw the Reds and Marlins play a couple games and saw his uh, first career home run, uh, hit it off Luis Castillo uh, in one of the games we were at. And uh, he looked like you know he's a high draft pick and had a really promising future with the Marlins. I think that's really interesting. And <laughs> I mean, I, I I've heard that Adriana Allegretta actually told me that the trade happened while the banquet was going on on Saturday. Uh, no here kidding. in Nashville, and they had the preseason banquet, and, and JJ Blade was actually at the banquet. And oh I guess no! Tim Corbin, was, Tim Corbin was joking around with him at the banquet when the, the trade went down, and so um, yeah, you go from boy one corner of the country to uh, the West Coast, and I, I don't, in terms of organization and his development and where he goes from here, I'm not sure what that does for him, but that's an interesting interesting trade and we and you know aj puck going the other way we saw him you know, play against vanderbilt uh, for the florida Gators, and i think i even did a game or two that he pitched in uh, when he was here that's horrible i mean that's getting traded is tough and and having to react to it in a, in a setting like that when you're in front of a bunch of people that would that would not be a lot of fun <laughs> No, I wouldn't think so but i i think he i think he took it well and that, i think everybody kind of had a little fun with it with him well, anyway, um, that's all I've got for today. Kevin, any parting thoughts, announcements, podcast stuff? The floor is yours as we end the show to promote your stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, be sure to check out the new edition of the Anchor Podcast. should be out tomorrow. And then also uh, coming up on Saturday, 7 o'clock pregame, 7.30 tip-off for Vanderbilt and Auburn men's basketball. Andrew Allegretta will have all those games uh, as far as baseball goes uh, against TCU and against Oklahoma State and against Texas. He'll have all those over the weekend. He'll be in Arlington for those. So uh, a busy time here and uh, looking forward to seeing baseball get started and then seeing this if this men's basketball team can keep it rolling against Auburn on Saturday. Yeah, it's as interesting covering this beat as it's been in a while between the, the way the two sports are, are merging this week. And Kevin, I really appreciate you joining me today to talk about it. Anytime, Chris. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk, Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group, and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. 
And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.